0: Unium is the Subscription Management Hub for B2B SaaS companies. Whether you're looking to expand to new markets, experimenting with pricing models, or simply want a streamlined quote-to-cash process, Unium got your back. On top of that, Unium Insights provides the SaaS metrics you need for reporting to the board and for future company valuation. It gives you the key figures needed to drive your business forward and take strategic decisions. We help SaaS companies manage their B2B customer subscriptions. Welcome to startuprad.io, your podcast and YouTube blog covering the German startup scene with news, interviews and live events. Hello and welcome, everybody. This is Joe from StartupRate.io, your startup podcast and YouTube blog from the German-speaking area in Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, as well as the world's number one tech entrepreneurship radio called Startup.Radio. I know, a little bit confusing. Sorry about that. Today, I would like to welcome Ivan. Hey, how you doing?
1: Hey, Joe. Uh, thanks for having me. Doing really well. Excited to do this podcast with you.
0: And we have to tell the people that this is our second attempt to really do it. I had some technical issues with the software I'm usually using for recording. But fortunately, the support helped me. And now we can do this scaring everybody. Guys, we, you can, we're using Microsoft Edge. <laughs> 50% of the people just turned off here. <laughs> Ivan, I have been looking at what you have been doing and I've seen you hold a Bachelor in Economics, an MBA from HALT, but you did a lot of, let's say, non-economic stuff. You've been in marketing and consulting in Moscow. You've been in project management in Zurich. You've been a marketing manager in San Diego, a project manager in Boston, and you stopped in several startups in the Bay Area including in areas like marketing, PR, and SEO. And then you came to Berlin. Can you take us a little bit along this very interesting, very international uh, journey, and especially for the people out there listening? Because right now, as we're recording this, we are in the podcast shots of countries like Portugal, Mauritius, and many, many other interesting places. And they may be curious, how do I get the job in the Silicon Valley or Boston if they like to wear, wear warm socks in the winter, right?
1: No, absolutely. Happy happy to talk you through it. So I'm originally from Moscow and that's where I started my first business when I was um, pretty early um, in my in my journey. I self-learned marketing and I was always passionate about the whole go-to-market topic. It felt like I can really help the right technology appear in front of the right customers. So they recognize the value. And that's pretty much what I started doing for small businesses first in Russia and then moved to Boston for... For studies, I um, ended up working with startup, a, startups ever since in go-to-market functions. Could be a bit different focus, as you said, like PR, SEO, etc. but really came down to growing um, MRR or ARR, mostly in B2B SaaS companies. And then when I landed um, in Berlin, I started my journey with Penta, um, and in Penta, my focus has been as a head of growth, just really growing our bottom line, customers, revenue, and all the key metrics.
0: Everybody who's listening to this podcast for quite a while, and there are a few thousand people out there, um, they may remember the very energetic co-founder of Penta named Luca. And I I was actually texting with Luca when we set up this interview, and I quote him. He said, Ivan's amazing. Penta wouldn't be here without him. You can quote me, exclamation <laughs> mark.
1: Yeah, I appreciate good words from Luca. We've been, been a lot of fun working together, especially in early days. As companies scale, they change, but I think we had a lot of fun when we were just early, sitting in a small apartment in Berlin, using it as the office. Very, very special vibe. I think it's, it's it was a true, true startup days.
0: Mm-hmm. And I've read you helped have- penta to grow from 0 to 20,000 customers. So w- what is the secret to get something like your first 20 or 100,000 clients?
1: <laughs> no, absolutely. Look, uh, I think I think it wasn't an easy journey. I think there are a lot of stories how, you know, companies are so successful, but every success story comes after the right number of failures. So I think to us um, and in general in the market what out of what I've observed, it comes down to pretty much first understanding the needs and I think Penta came very timely to market in the country, Germany, where opening an account for a business, especially if you're a foreigner, especially if you're not having track record with your local bank was really difficult and really lengthy. And so Penta just addressed this, um, this pain very, very well. We could do something that no one in the market could do, um, and we made it very clear to, to our customers via the website and other channels. And it's actually cool to think that almost 90 to 95% of early customers came inbound through the website and they could find us, they could understand the value. So in Penta, it came down to pretty much understanding the needs. Uh, making sure that the messages are well well adjusted to the customers and just making sure that whoever is looking for something like this can easily find this. So I think in the first step of the journey was more around positioning, explaining what we do, explaining how we're different. Now, in the second stage, it was making sure that Penta is really number one or at least top three in all places where people can be looking for a bank account, be that a partnership website, be that an online um, kind of advertising or anything else. And then I think the team did a tremendous job after that, uh, not only maintaining the brand, but really taking it to the next level, where if you speak to an average businessman in Germany, almost everyone knows Penta. Even if they're not using Penta, they definitely know what it is. Um, and the green cards that actually Luca always pushed for um, stands out.
0: Yes, they they got a very shiny green there. Very awesome. Um, at one point... You decided to leave Penta and go for your current startup, Monite, working on embedded finance. I would be curious, what was the problem that first triggered you and how did you make your decision to jump ship and go for your own?
1: No, absolutely. It's actually never an easy decision to to move on, especially because um, Penta was in a very good trajectory back then, just got a new influx of financing, etc. So I think for me, it came down to pretty much thinking about the bottom line of what I want to accomplish in my career. And my focus has always been on the impact on the end customer. So I felt like at Penta, I'm definitely making a difference, but I saw a bigger problem in the market that wasn't being addressed, uh, which was more related to general finance automation or back office automation of um, SMEs. Um, and then I felt like no neobank alone or no platform alone can tackle this today because of how the space is structured. And um, there I and my co-founder who actually built one of the largest Russian banks, we saw an mm-hmm. opportunity to really make a disruption and really make a big fundamental step in really automating SME finance, not just doing, you know, one bit better, another bit better, but really automating the picture. And I think crystallizing this picture, having insights from Penta customers, having insights from a general um, European market, including, for example, opening in Italy for Penta. These were all the triggering moments that made me realize that there is something big out there. And whenever I see something big, I always make a compromise on you know, not having, let's say a stable ser- seller as a founder or uh, missing out on stock or other things. But I think this decision to focus on impact has been the guiding star throughout my career. And I continue um, basically um, doing that way
0: mm-hmm um for the people out there who read embedded finance that's new trend that's that's new hype work how would you describe embedded finance because for me it would be you enable other companies to do some financial transactions some financial processes without you showing up there directly. Would that be okay?
1: Yeah that's 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 about right so i think embedded finance in general comes down to like many subsectors but in general it's ability for non financial companies non fintech companies to add financial functionalities payments into their interface most of the times without holding any licenses or actually having any expertise in the area, which means that um, it goes anywhere from just simply embedding a wallet and payments uh, to more complex things like embedding certain licenses, etc., etc. Um, I think what we do is, is a sub-segment of embedded finance. Um, I would basically call ourselves embedded workflows more than anything because what we do is not related to, let's say traditional embedded finance, embedding accounts, cards, effects, or anything else. We're more focused on actually the finance automation workflow, so back office automation. And then we basically link uh, with other embedded finance providers to close the workflow. So we're more focused on things like um, embedded invoicing, embedded payables automation, embedded expense management. uh, And then we pretty much connect the dots with, with payments, with financial services, through our partners. It,
0: I, I'm right now smiling a little bit here because um one, you write on your website, startups using up to 15 hours a week to perform financial tasks. I do believe in many startups, it, it's a lot more. And um basically what you're saying, you automate everything most startups do with an Excel sheet, right? <laughs>
1: uh yeah that's actually true i think that there is like i think in the startup audience we all have a bit of misconception that because we are using cool tooling and modern tooling most of the market is and that's also you know what comes up a lot um, in our talks with vcs but in fact the situation is very different and as A16Z wrote a while ago, uh, the revolution is yet to happen in CFO tooling. And therefore, what's important to realize is that most of the market is sitting with Excel for receivables, for payables, for many other things. They're not using modern tooling, like even not even build.com. Some of the people, for example, in the US use QuickBooks, et cetera, but it's far from being automated. So we end up having 70, 80, almost 90% of SMEs in some markets, not actually using the full automation or even the partial automation. And a lot of things they are doing by hands are very easy to automate. Now, the issue is very simple, that convincing an SME to use any sort of tooling is very difficult, as well as convincing them to use a neobank or something else, which is why the market penetration of new tooling is super low. and. While we started first at Monique as a B2B company, we felt this pain very well. And I also know it from Penta times. It's very challenging. Now, the way we approach the market now is turning it around and saying, look, there are so many platforms that already have businesses to trust them. Neobanks, vertical SaaS companies, fintech SaaS, etc. Why don't we let them bring more value to their customers? by embedding this finance automation. And that's pretty much where Munit comes in and does what we call all the boring works for this platform. The work that they're not willing to do because it's not their core business, but the work that really enables um, to open up new value streams for their customers.
0: And on the other hand, you basically utilize their client base, their marketing, to do your job, right?
1: Correct. Um, actually, we, we just plug in a revenue stream into them. We are nowhere to be seen. So for a customer of, let's say, Penta or Conto or any software platform, it would look like Penta just shipped great accounts, payable automation solution, or Conto just shipped great invoicing. We would not be in the picture, but the customers would actually imagine that this is being provided by by their provider. Um, and there is, there is a, already a very good example, for example, B2C, Where whoever is using Revolut trading probably thinks it's Revolut being so cool, but there is Driver Wells API behind it. And situations like this basically show that time to market to bring value is streamlined big time, and the neobanks or other companies just don't have to defocus. They plug in a specialized API and it just works. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: I see. And what are you guys currently offering? As I said, it's to the end customer, but basically you're here more talking to the entrepreneurs, to the people in charge of businesses, if they could use one or two like building blocks of your tool to put it in their software.
1: Absolutely. So the two products we have live today are payables automation and receivables automation. To put it simple, the first product is really around paying uh, paying vendors so every business has bills to pay every month now most of the guys run it through email downloading everything on their computer storing it in google drive it's a complete mess and then it's manual payouts from accounts so we offer a solution that allows companies to centralize all their payables in one platform be that a neobank or their i don't know barbershop software and then pretty much run specific approval flows and release payments that's step one Next year, we're going more into the direction of covering the whole contract to pay workflow, where we will also deal with procurement, with contracts management, and really connects the dots across the flow, but for businesses to have it all in one platform. So they won't have to use like contract management software here and procurement there and invoicing here. It's all in one place. And we've seen this product, there are basically software components, which is pretty much gathering bills, doing OCR, building approval flows, etc. And there are also components around payments, which we built together with our partners. And those allow people to leverage some of the very successful revenue models that exist in the market, such as, for example, Billhop or Milio in the US, where people can, for example, pay their vendors with a credit card therefore extending the bill payment terms. Or they can actually use BNPL rails and again, defer the invoice payments. The second product we have is receivables automation. In simple words, it's invoicing embedded into the platform. So it's flexible invoice issuance, it's storing products, um, it's storing customers, sending offers, sending invoices. Everything is compliant for a specific country and includes e-invoicing compliance where um, e-invoicing is mandatory. And then the idea is that there is pretty much the, the simple invoicing functionality of like, let's put together a really nice invoice, make it look great, send it out. Then there is a second part of actually chasing people to pay the invoice. And then there is the third part that is probably most important and related to um, actually getting money in, uh, where we basically combine payment links like one would get with QuickBooks, FreshBooks um, or Stripe. Uh, and at the same time, we are adding more options like, for example, advanced cash on an invoice via our BNPL provider or something like this. So the solution that we offer in a basic version of API is probably something people could build in-house, especially bigger players. We've seen around 12 to 18 months of time spending quite a lot of resources. We give them something out of the box that they can go live with in three to five weeks of time, with pretty much minimal technical work. Um, And then the idea is that they start earning money with this almost right away. And the ROI is very high because the amount of value they provide um, is definitely uh, bigger than what could be in typical MVP.
0: They can much faster whack the competition. Uh Uh-huh, I see. What's what's the, now you have two like building blocks, elements, Lego blocks, however you wanna call it. Uh, What is the final vision down the road?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, we, we aspire to become the default provider in terms of um, APIs when it comes to every every possible financial workflow. That has to deal with financial documents or similar matters. So, we really want to make sure that um, anyone who wants to offer this sort of functionality to clients can work with us and pretty much offer them the streamlined workflow, be that payables, be that receivables, be that expense management, be that pre accounting or cash flow analytics. In the end of the day, if we cook all the data in the same pot, if we have high data accuracy, if we have direct interchange of this data between all the counterparts, especially globally, this will bring a completely new uh, reality to the markets where a lot of technologies needed today, like, for example, OCR, like international payments or like other things might not even be needed in current shape and form. So I think our vision really stretches into saying, look, we really want to spread the net um, and run the sort of the, the Nets, the API network for all financial documents exchange for all the financial automation workflows. That's part number one. There is part number two where, at least from my experience, I see a huge disconnect between so many great financial services and the small businesses that are supposed to use them. If you ask a typical Billy-like provider um, or a Myers-like provider, a lot of these guys who built an amazing product, for example, for e-commerce players or small businesses are struggling with go to market because they still have to acquire customers directly on the market via Google ads, via Facebook ads or similar. Now, the, big, the picture we foresee in the future is that the consumption of financial services for businesses has to be contextual, i.e. you actually get factoring in the place where you do invoicing. You actually do invoice insurance, again, in a place where you do invoicing. You use BNPL as an option to pay a business bill. And now for this to happen, we really have to connect the dots. And that's why the second part of Monit Vision stretches into enabling the open plug for all those specialized providers to actually become API first in their go-to-market when they actually know and can trigger upsell in the right point in time, which means that a typical neobank or a typical software company would now be able not only to earn from payables or invoicing as a software offering, but actually to earn a margin on all the financial services the customers can consume now within the workflow, within their interface. And if we make it frictionless, I'm pretty sure that the penetration of these great financial services to market will increase big time.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you've been talking about being available in different markets. Where is, um, you pronounce it Monite? Yeah. Yeah, where, where are you guys available?
1: Sure, so we are now available in the US, um, UK, and major countries of the EU. Um, our plan, until Series A at least, is to stay focused on these regions. Um, and then as we raise more financing, we can scale. Now, the truth is that scaling for us um, comes at a cost, but it's a lot lower than um, if we were building, for example, the B2B side that I eat directly to the customer. So the way we built infrastructure allows us to quickly scale to new markets um, and add, for example, things like e-invoicing compliance, or payments that are um, localized to specific markets, um, et cetera. And the beauty of our business is that at the moment, we're not bound by any licenses. We don't need local licenses, or for example, I don't know, payment licenses to operate in the location. We'll leverage providers for that, which means that our go to market time for new regions is a lot faster.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you, you talked about funding. I've seen you raised something like a, a little bit over six million US dollars so far in seed and pre-seed. And your investors include Ralf Müller, ex-Deutsche Bank board member and the COO of ING in Germany, 0.72 ventures from New York City, uh, Victor Jacobson, the co-founder of Klana, Molly founder, Adrian Mole, former Google Payment boss, Jonathan Weiner, and senior director from PayPal, Phil Valka. How did you get your hands on those people? And is it, does it prove to some of the investors you are talking to that there's really something about your idea?
1: Uh, absolutely, does. So let me start with the latter. I think um, the VC sentiment many times goes um, around who is already invested. And most, uh, most of the times they also ask why these people invested. So the, the good thing about our situation is that, for instance, 0.72 is known as an expert investor. They don't do many deals. They are very focused on fintech and embedded finance, and they have very, very good reputation, which means that every time we say, look, B72 led the last round," it does create an impression. Now, in terms of how we, uh, how we found all these angels. So the general, the general sense I get, and look, I'm a first time founder, so I had to learn it all from scratch. The general sense I got from more than two years in a game is that great people stick with great people. So you really got to make sure you find at least one angel, or at least one VC that is really good because a lot of good people and a lot of good angels and a lot of good other VCs will actually be around them. And this is pretty much how we, how we started. For instance, Ralph was one of our first um, angels and he's been extremely helpful in building the business. And he's up until this point. Now, point 72 came around, but they also brought in the angel network, some of which um, you already named um, that. The guys who came in the last round. So the general, uh, the general recommendation I would make for anyone who is who's raising, try to find a really really strong um, lead investor or at least a lead angel who will bring the network with them. And it's usually marginally a lot easier to close plus one or two or three um, cool people founders execs if you already have one or two because they all know each other and they all speak to each other. So sometimes just saying that, for instance, we also have Tom Stafford from DST. Sometimes saying that Tom Stafford is invested tells it all to people. They trust the judgment of the other person so much that they would actually come along because they think you're cool and it makes sense. Now, the one precondition to this is that the market is split into people who kind of trust you with the vision and invest more into the people side and people with a strong hypothesis in the area. So in P72 case, P72 had a hypothesis around what we do before they found us. So they had a view on the market that was very strong. And when they found us, they were just making sure that we're the right team to build this. And I think this is this is a rare occasion because most people will actually um, kind of expect you to bring the idea to them, explain why it's cool. They might not have um, a pre-made hypothesis or a strong view on the market yet.
0: Mm -hmm. And I also found where you guys are currently spending your money. I've seen you have at least 40 employees, 52% growth in the last six months. And on average, the people are there less than half a year. So that means you are currently hiring as crazy. Is that still true?
1: Uh, I think I think now, given the market situation, we're we're being more cautious um, and optimizing the cash burn. Um, I think we're about 37 people now, actually. Uh, we've grown a lot since seed. Now, the secret to this growth is, is very simple, that unlike many other companies, especially based in the EU or based in the US, we're not burning money in crazy EU or US taxes. We're deploying teams, especially for tech and products in locations that are tax efficient, like for instance, Georgia, which means that we don't have to pay um, high margin on top of employee salary for taxes. And this means we can afford more people at the lot lower burn. So for instance, if we had our HQ or most people in Israel, in Silicon Valley, in Germany, we would probably be able to afford the team that is half the size we have right now.
0: Mm-hmm. I see. And where you guys officially headquartered?
1: We're officially headquartered in Berlin, um, and our hubs are pretty much Berlin, London, Amsterdam, and Belisi in Georgia. See.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: and, 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 and again, the, just to just comment on that, I think our challenge has largely been assembling a team of senior fintech experts. COVID made it harder in a sense that people got picky. People aren't willing to move anymore. They just want to work where they are, which meant that we also have to adjust. Our head of API is ex-head of API at Edian. To get this guy on board, we had to create very comfortable conditions for him to join. Uh, We have a head of product design from Backbase. We have great people from PPS, our payments lead, or um, Tobias, who is leading our AREP from Solonis. Now, to get all these people together, we had to pretty much accommodate where they're located and create a work structure that allows us to do so, which meant pretty much several things. First, it's creating the hub structure and investing more into team events to gather people in one place. Second one was deploying, like many people in the market, remote work solutions like remote.com or deal. Um, and then the third one, actually, I'm now sitting in a WeWork, but this really helped. We actually got WeWork all access, uh, which means that we can use any WeWork in the world and wherever our guys are, they can just go into any WeWork they want, uh, which, which definitely helps when they're all in different locations and we can't possibly pay for a proper office in every of those locations.
0: Mm-hmm. ICC but you you you're still hiring in some positions right
1: uh, correct. So coming back to hiring. So I think we we have still a couple of roles open. Uh, we're mainly looking for uh, people and products, um, and we're accelerating our um, tech side as well. Uh, so always, always open to, to good people, even if we're not uh, publishing vacancies openly. Uh, most of the times we're open to um, get new folks on board. And especially as um, you know, we ramp up the customer acquisition side, maybe get some more financing, this whole thing starts accelerating.
0: That would be like my uh, last one statement, one question. One statement would be down here in the show notes. We link your company website. If you're listening to this on an audio only podcast on YouTube or something, there's a link to our blog post on Medium, and there you find all the links. Um, so basically, you can there have a look at the open positions or mail out. Of course, your LinkedIn profile is also linked in the show notes. And uh just one more question. You've been talking about Series A, uh, raising more funding. Uh, you would be open to talk to new investors and what is like rule of thumb, approximately the timeline for Series A?
1: Yeah, Joe, that's a great question. So I think given the current market dynamic and uh, the, the general situation and the sentiment, We'd probably be looking at Series A somewhere between uh, mid-next year and end of next year. Um, fortunately, our runway allows us to pretty much last until then um, and focus on traction in building the product. Now, we're always talking to new investors. We get, on average, five, seven new VC funds every week. Uh, we always entertain those conversations, not only because it's it's great um, it's a great way to keep in touch with the market, but also because VCs are actually one of the best source of client introductions for us. At least so far, we've been growing fully organically on and on VC interest. So whoever wants to talk to us, we are very open to um, to consider. Um, and then as the fundraise comes, uh, we are definitely taking new investors.
0: Well, I would say basically, that's all the questions I had. Thank you very much. It was an awesome interview and um, best of luck. And hopefully we can talk soon next year, like end of next year um, about your successful fundraising.
1: Thanks a lot, Joe, for having me. Totally
0: my pleasure. Have a great day. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you. Bye. That's all folks.
0: Find more news, stream, Startuprad.io Remember, sherry is caring.